This is a recording of Paul Ingram at the Sunday, April 10th, 2016 meeting of the BC Humanist Association in Vancouver. In this talk, Muscle Knots on Skeptical Trial, Paul explores the phenomenon of trigger points as a way to apply skepticism and critical thinking to unsolved medical mysteries. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the BCHA or its board of directors. To learn more about humanism and to support our work, visit bchumanist.ca, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram, and be sure to subscribe to the BC Humanist Podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. BC Humanists. Good morning. There's a few familiar faces here. Nice to see you again. So I'm here today to talk about trigger points, muscle knots. Several of you in the room have them, whatever they are. Uh, PainScience.com is my main gig. That's I'm a writer now. I was a massage therapist. Now I'm a writer. I do almost everything I do as a writer on painscience.com. And I have a pretty active Facebook page there, facebook.com slash painscience. If you want to drop in and participate, see what I'm up to. Uh, Sciencebasedmedicine.org is a a part-time gig, has been for me for about six or seven years now. I'm the assistant editor there, um, which doesn't sound very important, but actually it's, it's very important. Um, and I have a lot of fun doing it. It really constantly exposes me to the work and ideas of some absolutely first-rate medical thinkers and writers. So although it's a, a part-time uh, job for me, it's a very important one. Keeps my keeps my feet in some really important stuff. So that's me, briefly. The first thing you should know before begin this topic is that uh, I am hopelessly corrupted by commercial interests because I sell a book about this. Uh, that there on the on the right is my ebook on the topic of trigger points, which I wrote the first version of about hmm, seven or eight nine years ago, long before I had the slightest idea that eventually it would put me on the wrong side of a skeptical issue. Long before I had any idea that there would be trigger point skeptics. So I am still very much a massage therapist in spirit. I love massage therapy. It's why I did it for 10 years. And it means that I am biased, that I see this issue more as a massage therapist and as the writer and the seller of an ebook about trigger points than I do as a skeptic. And yet, I'm also a skeptic. And I work with people like Dr. Steve Novella and email with Dr. David Gorski almost every day of my life for years. These are serious skeptics. And so the fact that they're turns out to be a skeptical issue about trigger points is very awkward for me. It's been a weird two or three years as I come to terms with the fact 
that I'm selling a book about trigger points, and there's some serious skepticism emerging about those things. So this presentation is two for one. On the one hand, it's about a very interesting skeptical issue, skeptical problem, an unsolved medical mystery that skeptics have weighed in on in a big way. And on the other hand, it's about something that affects probably just about every single person in the room. That's a really common pain problem that drives people absolutely bonkers and for which there are no clear medical answers. So this presentation is about trying to give you both sides of that picture, which is really unusual. You can go to the bookstore and buy a book about trigger points. There's several. And you're not going to find a trace of skepticism. There will not be any acknowledgement in that book that there is any doubt whatsoever about the nature of trigger points and how to treat them. They are presented as though it is hard, established science, and there is no reason to doubt them or question them whatsoever. On the other end of the extreme, you can find serious skepticism about them. People who believe that they are complete phantoms, that they do not exist, that they are just as much rank quackery as homeopathy or acupuncture or kinesiology or you name it. Any of the worst offenders. There are people who believe that the phenomenon I'm going to discuss today in detail simply doesn't exist. So to combine these two, very weird, very odd. It's a unique opportunity. Okay, so myofascial pain syndrome. Show of hands, who has regular aches and pains? Okay, now keep your hands up. Uh, drop your hands if you think it's entirely attributable to arthritis. Okay, so there's still several people left. You eliminate arthritis from common aches and pains. You can put your arms down now, thank you. You eliminate arthritis, and almost all the common aches and pains left are what we lump into myofascial pain syndrome, which basically means soft tissue hurt. No one really knows what most myofascial pain consists of. So the bottom line, spoiler alert, by the end of this wonderfully prepared presentation, you will still have no idea what a trigger point is. <laughs> or how to fix them. You might, you might all just want to leave right now. <laughs> What's the point? Or buy the book, yeah. Um, it's, it's a mystery. Myofascial pain syndrome is just, it's just this broad umbrella. People hurt. Uh, we're not sure why a lot, a lot of the time. But in theory, myofascial pain syndrome is when you've got too many of these trigger point things. So a trigger point or a muscle knot is a very popular common term for it. They're, they're clinically important and fascinating and tricky and weird because they've got this triple threat thing going on. Look, by the way, for the moment, we're just going to assume they exist. They cause pain problems directly. So it just, it just hurts. You have one, it just hurts. But it also complicates pain problems. So something else comes up. Um, you wound a shoulder. You uh, 
wrench your knee, something else gets hurt for some reason, and trigger points crop up around it, complicating and often extending the problem, uh, an out of the frying pan into the fire problem. And then the final problem is that trigger points often mimic other kinds of pain, uh, particularly because the pain is coming from somewhere inside of our tissues, and we're very, very bad at localizing and identifying where pain is coming from. The pain of trigger points often gets completely conflated and confused with other things. This also complicates the medical investigation, the scientific mystery, and the skepticism about it. It gets very confusing. But there's no question that lots and lots of people have um, uh, trigger point-like pain that gets mistaken for other things. And a you know, classic uh, acute dramatic example is appendicitis. Uh, pain of a trigger point can be so bad in the abdominal muscles that it gets mistaken for appendicitis. I know people who've actually had their appendix removed and then they carried right on hurting until they got a massage. That solved the problem. So uh, I'm going to start here. The overall structure here is um, I'm going to uh, introduce you briefly to what trigger points are. And then we'll go over the skeptical problem with this. And then we'll come back to what to do about it, the practical at the end. The practical and the useful. So um, there's going to be a quiz later, so I want you to study this diagram very carefully. And that on top is a muscle at the macroscopic scale, and the diagram at the bottom is a diagram of a sarcomere. Yeah, it's, don't worry, there won't actually be a quiz. Really, the, the diagram is there just to show you that there's complicated stuff inside of muscles. Um, what are my next two slides? Okay. So the way that muscle basically works is overlapping fingers of proteins, chains of proteins that grab onto each other and pull. So the, the, the proteins overlap, and they pull together, and there's zillions of these things in chains and series, and when they all do their thing all at once, the muscle shrinks. That's basically how muscle works, like that, like forks. I didn't need to do the hand thing. I had the forks right here. So those are the microscopic forks that make muscles go, sarcomeres. The thing about sarcomeres, here's a, an elect, some electron microscopy of sarcomeres, and you can see where the proteins overlap in very distinctive patterns, uh, creating lines and bands and uh, this is going to become significant later on, this kind of picture. The thing that we think is going on with trigger points is that some of these microscopic engines of muscle contract when they're not supposed to. That a trigger point is basically a patch of dysfunctioning sarcomeres, a tiny spasm. This is the tiny spasm theory of trigger points. Tiny cramps. This is also the Bigfoot of musculoskeletal medicine. This alleged lesion, this thing that's going on in your muscles that hurts, but it's microscopic. 
This here is a quite an old picture, photomicrograph from I don't know, probably 30 years ago. It's the it's the only image from a scientific paper that I've included today. I would have loved to have included about eight to ten more, but uh, you know how it is with copyright and scientific journals. I checked the uh, the prices. Um, I really wanted to include some images today, and it's been a while since I last checked. Oh my goodness, 450 bucks US to include an image like this in a presentation from one publisher. So they're not here. Just this one. I picked one to cheat with. This ancient ghostly image, supposedly, of a trigger point. You saw in the, in the previous slide these regular patterns, these regular bands of normal, healthy, overlapping proteins making up the sarcomeres. What's going on here, supposedly, is that in that bulge in the middle where it says contracture, no EMG activity, you've got sarcomeres that are so tight, they're so tightly clenched that the banding pattern has completely disappeared. It's just dark. It's just a dark patch in the muscle where all the sarcomeres have gone. <clears throat> that is supposedly what a trigger point is. But this picture is as fuzzy as pictures of Bigfoot and has been challenged by skeptics. There are people who do not believe that this is what is going on at all. So the pain is real. And I really want to emphasize this, that even the skeptics completely agree, everyone agrees on one thing, the pain is real. People suffer specifically from hypersensitive spots in their muscles. You can poke yourself and find spots that hurt, that are inappropriately sensitive. And sometimes they get so bad that you don't even have to poke them. They just start aching. And that phenomenon, that clinical phenomenon, is not in dispute. Everyone agrees. Everyone's cool with that. There is a painful problem. Unfortunately for us, it's not a very bad problem in the big medical picture. It doesn't really rate. Musculoskeletal medicine is a backwater in medicine compared to the study of the charismatic megafauna of pathology, the heart disease, the cancer, the stuff that kills you, the stuff that makes you dramatically and obviously ill. Aches and pains just kind of barely register. And so research is slow and erratic, sometimes not the right researchers focusing on it. Musculoskeletal medicine has been, uh, to a great extent, the domain of massage therapists and chiropractors. And so there's a certain amount of jiggery-pokery when it comes to the credibility of musculoskeletal medicine and how it advances. But the pain is real. We just don't know if the not is real. So this is the bad news. We've got this problem. Everybody hurts. Everybody agrees that everybody hurts. It would be really, really nice if we could solve it, if we could understand it. The bad news is, is that almost everything about the science of trigger points has been seriously challenged by some experts. This is the preeminent example. 
John Quintner, Jeffrey Bove, Milton Cohen. I know all of them, I interact with all of them, I've argued with all of them. They're good people. And I completely approve of what John Quintner particularly is trying to do. He's a rheumatologist, he wants to solve the problem, and he thinks that the mainstream explanation for it is nonsense. Inventions that have no scientific basis, he writes. The theory of myofascial pain syndrome caused by trigger points has been refuted, in his words. So the entire theoretical structure, multiple textbooks, probably 500 scientific papers, in Quintner's opinion, bollocks. Throw it all out. Start over. I think he might be tad overconfident with has been refuted. Maybe. Maybe not. So this is the bad news. I've got a bad problem to solve, and nobody agrees on what's going on, and the skepticism is real and justified because diagnosis by feel, the massage therapist with the magic hands who finds your knots, very unreliable. Testing has shown that massage therapists cannot agree on where these knots are. Presumptive treatment, totally out of control. Presumptive treatment is when you treat as if. You don't really know what's going on, but you take a guess and you treat as if you think that's the problem, as if that were the problem, and see what happens. And basically that is all massage therapy for stiffness and aches and pains is presumptive treatment. And it's being done with extraordinary overconfidence and has been for decades. This is faith-based medicine. Poorly trained practitioners around here in this neck of the woods and in several uh, provinces, we've got really well-trained massage therapists. Uh, but in a lot of places in the world, not so much at all. Lots and lots of places you can become a massage therapist with 500 hours of training, you know, a few night school classes, basically. And the profession of massage therapy is legendary for its flakes. And so you've got an awful lot of people out there. This is their domain. Massage therapists are the ones who are mostly dealing with these kinds of aches and pains, and they just don't know their stuff. They, they're not very well informed about the half-baked science. The final bad news is that the science, a lot of the science, really is pretty terrible. Uh, and even the good stuff, there's not enough of it. It's not an answered question. It's not done. Uh, I think you could probably throw, oh, you know, a large budget. We, we could easily do with 50 more high-quality papers to, to get just the level of, yeah, all right, we might be getting a handle on this. We're nowhere close to where we need to be with this. Okay, we'll get into the nitty-gritty. Let's start trying to figure this out. You know that people have sore spots and they might be associated with hard nodules in their muscles. Now people are full, you may have noticed this, you're full of lumps and bumps. There's bumps everywhere in anatomy. And I have seen, I have watched with my own eyes, poorly trained massage therapists grab onto a prominence of bone 
a very clear piece of anatomy and call it a trigger point. Like say the superior angle of your scapula. There's a pretty prominent bump right there. A lot of people want to rub their shoulders and there is a, there's a bone that sticks up. And I have seen massage therapists call that bone a trigger point. Mm-hmm. No. And that's the poorly trained thing at work. It's just they don't know their anatomy. So diagnosis is a detection problem. Uh, signal detection theory started with radar in World War II. It's always been difficult. Uh, False positives, false negatives. You want your detection system to be sensitive enough that it catches what you're looking for, but doesn't catch things that aren't what you're looking for. And there is no good solution to this problem. To any system where there's plenty of noise, signal detection is just hard. Ask any radiologist. Ask anyone who was looking for enemy fighters in World War II. This is not a problem you can quote-unquote solve. Uh, This is a genuine napkin scribble by uh, another uh, prominent local skeptic, Dr. Rob Tarswell. I was having dinner with him once, and he explained signal detection theory for me in detail. (laughs) The point of this crap is basically to show Uh, that it doesn't matter which way you go, you end up with a problem with either false positives or false negatives. It's just hard to find things. And trigger points in muscles are like enemy fighters. They're like anything that a radiologist hunts for on x-rays or MRIs or other imaging. It's easy to misinterpret what you see or what you feel. And massage therapists do this all the time. They're groping around in the dark of your tissues looking for something, but there are all kinds of other somethings that are an awful lot like it. And maybe what they're looking for doesn't even actually exist. It's a very difficult signal detection problem. So that's where pareidolia comes in. This is the famous face on Mars. It's a rock. Happens to look like a face. We're very good at spotting faces. We see what we expect to see. We find what we expect to find. If we're a massage therapist trained in trigger point therapy, we expect to find trigger points, and we do, whether they're there or not. I love these guys. Pareidolia is powerful. (laughs) Cloudzilla. This is uh, from a Scottish photographer. I just was emailing with him recently, getting permission to get that. He was so delighted by that photograph. (laughs) Dr. House, with a quote appropriate for the BC Humanist Society. The reason Dr. House here is because he is the uh, he is the popularizer, the master of presumptive treatment, which is what trigger point therapy is really all about, and is the problem with the industry of trigger point therapy is that it's all presumptive treatment. 
HouseMD popularized presumptive treatment. Every episode was basically about betting on what was wrong by trying to treat it and seeing what happens, which of course always went badly. He's seizing. She's seizing. Twenty-two minutes in every episode. <laughs> um, so, the the thing the thing about presumptive treatment is that um, it's actually the right thing to do. And the thing about signal detection is that it's hard, but you still have to do it. So the, these things are the realm of the clinician. They are not how we determine whether or not trigger points or any other pathology really exists. For the massage therapist who is confronted, or the physical therapist, keep talking about massage therapists, but it's many other kinds of healthcare practitioners as well, rheumatologists and chiropractors and physical therapists, all presented with chronic aches and pains, some of them very serious, all the time. And their job is to do the, the best that they can for the patient. And that means they're going to have to try to detect the signal and they're going to have to make a presumption and treat. That's how clinical practice works. The, the problem with presumptive treatment is when it gets too presumptuous. When it's 100% presumptuous, you, you are starting to wander away from evidence-based medicine. And there's a lot of presumptive treatment out there that's absolutely ludicrous, rank quackery. And we don't really know where trigger point fits in here. But for sure, uh, if you ask 99% of people doing trigger point therapy for the evidence, whoosh, no idea. Because there is none, shocker. There's almost no direct evidence about the effectiveness of the treatment. So therapists will treat for trigger point therapy and patient and therapist alike will try to interpret the results. How did it go? And of course, that is just hopelessly unreliable. Uh, there's a thousand ways that people misjudge what actually happened, how good the results really were. I'll give one simple example that I saw all the time because I'm an extraordinarily charismatic man. My patients, I saw it all the time, they wanted to please me when they reported results. They'd come back the next week and I'd say, how did it go? Tell me the truth. Did it go badly? No, 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 you were great. No, don't tell me I'm great. How was, how does your body feel? You did such a good job that I feel much, much better. So these things get hopelessly conflated. People want to praise their favorite therapist. And it just gets completely entangled with whether or not the treatment actually worked. From Anchorman, 60% of the time it works every time. <laughs> That's kind of what trigger point therapy always felt like. <laughs> it's just like, you just don't know. Like, maybe it's working, maybe it's not, I think so. There are some dramatic treatment experiences where even as a serious skeptic, I was absolutely convinced that I had helped someone dramatically. Saw a lot of amazing things. But I've also learned to doubt myself. And 
realized that I often heard what I wanted to hear. Basically, the whole of trigger point therapy is based on anecdotal evidence. It's people telling stories about feeling better after a massage that pretty much drive the industry. That and the magic hands thing. When, when someone finds one of these spots and presses on it, there is an acute sense of recognition of, ooh, that's it. And that is what makes people say that the massage therapist has magic hands. And that, that sense of recognition is very potent, and it really powers strong, strong anecdotes. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I was in agony for three months, and you know, I went to my physical therapist, and he put a needle in this spot, and it was just like the most amazing thing I'd ever felt. It was exactly what had been driving me nuts for, for all that time, and then the next day I was fine. Anecdote. Lots of anecdote about trigger points. So... That's all the bad news. It's a mess. We really don't know what's going on. People are treating very presumptuously. Very hard to tell what's really going on in muscle, what you're really feeling. I, I used to believe that I was feeling trigger points every day. Back 2000, 2005, I thought I was touching trigger points all the time. Now, I will tell you exactly the opposite. I'm not sure I've ever felt one. I'm honestly not sure that I've ever felt a clear, well-defined, hardened spot in a muscle. Because tissue texture varies wildly all the time. So a lot of, in the early days, what I assumed I was feeling hard nodules in muscle tissue, over time, as I gained a lot of experience, I began to discover that there's a, a lot of variation in tissue texture in all people all the time, and sometimes it's associated with sensitivity, and sometimes it's not. So my confidence eroded and eroded and eroded. So we don't settle these arguments with signal detection theory, with physical exam. Physical exam and presumptive treatment and its results are never how we nail down rigorously what was actually wrong with someone. And as we learn from House, uh, even when presumptive treatment seems to work, it often isn't what it seems. And so this is just not how we answer the question. Ultimately, the only way we're going to answer the question is to find a lesion. Rudolf Virchow, the father of pathology, it's the cells, stupid, was basically... Rudolph's contribution to medicine, uh, that every disease is going to manifest in the misbehavior of cells one way or another. And in many, many cases, you're not going to be able to find that lesion without a microscope or other advanced technology. So in the end, the only way we're going to answer this question, the only way we're going to find out if there's really a Bigfoot is with uh, biologic research. We're going to need evidence of a lesion in muscle. So for 20 to 30 years now, the main theory has been that what's the, the cause of the pain is this little cramp, and in particular, that once it starts cramping, it screws up the blood supply to the tissues, and it becomes a vicious cycle. The worse it gets, the more it cramps, the more it cramps, the worse it gets, and so on. So it's self-perpetuating, and these things drag on and on and on which is a clinical feature of them. They 
often go away on their own, but they often don't. They often are extremely persistent, as you know. So this idea, this hypothesis, uh, is called the integrated hypothesis of trigger point formation. Uh, and it's, you know, there's several prominent figures in the field behind it. The skeptics have said that it's a fantasy, that it's wrong. Uh, this is the evidence that we have for it. This is the section of the presentation where I really wish I had some cool slides to show you. Instead, I will have to draw pictures in your minds with my words. Biopsies and photomicrographs, we started with that. This is an old one. Um, there have been a handful since. They're um, annoyingly rare, like Bigfoot and UFO photos. There's precious few of them. You'd think, if they exist and if they look distinctive, um, well, why don't we just take more pictures of them? I'm not even sure I can answer. Why not? I don't know why not. Why haven't there been more biopsy studies done? I, I don't know. But they haven't. There's very little of it. There are, however, about three prominent ones, one significant human one and a couple of interesting animal ones where um, you've got a photomicrograph of a spot that's been identified clinically. Here's, here's where we think the trigger point is, and oh look, the sarcomeres are all squinched up there. Okay, so next up, there's some new uh, imaging techniques, kind of fun, elastography, magnetic resonance elastography, is a cool way of imaging tissue stiffness. And uh, for one of these studies, they built a test object, a block of gel gelatin with an outer layer of less dense gelatin and an inner cube of denser gelatin. And they use that just to establish that yeah, if you bombard this block of gelatin with uh, the right kind of uh, energy, you can see the stiff part. It's a way of detecting which part of a gelatinous substance is stiffer, like a trigger point. And sure enough, as hoped, as expected, which might be a bad thing. The researchers maybe found what they were looking for. Um, elastography shows pretty clearly that places where people supposedly have knots, sure enough, that tissue is stiff. So that's um, a pretty significant part of the biological evidence. Another noteworthy one, um, using uh, electromyography to detect the electrical signature of trigger points stands to reason that if there's this little piece of muscle that's going crazy and clenching, it might be uh, kind of sputtering electrically. Everything in the body is powered by pseudo-electrical uh, nerve impulses, by action potentials racing around membranes. Uh, so if it's clenching, there's probably something weird going on with this electrical signature. Sure enough, EMG studies have shown that there is indeed something going on there, that there is a, a weird uh, electrical signal. Another thing you might expect is that if the muscle is clenching, 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 especially if there's this vicious cycle idea, that the tissue fluid inside it is going to be getting a bit swampy. And because when cells are busy and active, they're burning a lot of fuel, they're producing a lot of waste products, those waste products would accumulate we would expect to find this. So somebody went looking, 
stuck a very fine needle into a trigger point, into a bunch of trigger points, extracted the tissue fluids, did some very clever analysis uh, of the tissue fluids, what molecules are in it, and sure enough, highly polluted compared to control points in other areas of muscle. So that's another very important um, part of the biological evidence. It has been reproduced. There was one signature study, I think the first one was 2008 or something, and uh, there has been one other replication since. We need more. Because, of course, absolutely every stitch of this evidence that I'm recording has been questioned. It's quality challenged. Impugned. Thermography. These spots presumably would be kind of hot, particularly if they're close to the surface. The results of thermography studies, yeah, pretty ambiguous. Not so clear that we can image this with thermography. Inconclusive so far. Biopsies and photomicrographs, electro or elastography, EMG. Yep, we pretty much have it. So I think probably um, there's roughly a dozen fairly credible papers. Quintners would say that they all suck, that they're all bad papers. This is where it just comes down to a judgment call. How good is the evidence? How much of it? What's the quality? In my estimation, as a highly biased commentator, it's not bad. I think, I think there's a lot of pathophysiological smoke there. It's not proven, not by a long shot, but it's a heck of a lot better than nothing. And if you compare and contrast with the evidence for acupuncture points, subtle lesions in the spine that can affect your general health, or the effect of homeopathy, it's not even in the same territory. There's a perfectly reasonable hypothesis here. There's a fair bit of intriguing evidence. It is not obviously published by hopelessly biased quacks. It's all reasonably interesting, reasonably good quality research. It may not be right. We may not have it. But it doesn't seem... It doesn't seem anywhere near worth completely dismissing. That's where I differ with John Quinter. He thinks it should be thrown out, start over. I look at this evidence and I think, eh, let's see some more of that. We're not there yet, but we shouldn't stop. So that's my summary of the good news. There's something there, probably, and the research so far is somewhat consistent, fairly consistent, with the major hypothesis. Okay, what should you do? Uh, keep calm and carry on with your presumptive treatment, particularly with your presumptive self-treatment, because it's safe, and it's cheap, and it's easy. It's no big deal. Uh, that's for self-treatment. Getting a massage therapist to work on your trigger points is a little bit different because it's not at all cheap. It's one of the most expensive forms of therapy, of treatment. Um, paying fee for time for any form of therapy is not very cost-effective if it doesn't work. Uh, 
the great advantage of massage therapy, one of the reasons I loved being a massage therapist, is because the great thing about massage therapy is you have a nice time no matter what, if it's a good massage. You have a pleasant massage, um, you have had a good experience, whether you've had therapy or not. So my advice is to uh, treat for trigger points, learn about them like it's an owner's manual issue, because almost everyone has these painful spots. So learn about them, experiment, see what happens. You're not out a lot of money. You're not going to hurt yourself as long as you're reasonably conservative, as long as you don't let any massage therapist brutalize you. And that is a key point, because a lot of massage therapy for trigger points is brutally intense. This is There are two Vancouver-specific issues here that are going to come up. The first is, in Vancouver specifically, there are a couple of massage therapy gurus who are really into what is called fascial release, and one of them in particular, not naming names, is really into extremely intense treatment. I've experienced it. I interned with the guy. I watched him do it to people. It is the most phenomenally intense manual therapy you have ever seen. These people have influenced many, many local therapists. As a massage therapist in Vancouver, I constantly had patients who were refugees from brutal treatment. It's great for some people. If your nervous system is up to it, okay. Whatever floats your boat, whatever tosses your confetti. But a lot of people, it is nothing but bad news. It will make you worse, not better. So do not tolerate uncomfortably brutal treatment. It's not brutal if you're okay with it. It can be super intense and you know deep and satisfying as long as you're not suffering, gasping, tensing up. But when you cross into that territory, find a new therapist. Um, let's see, what's next? Right, here we are. What about these? Not so safe, cheap, or pleasant. Now, I'm not referring to acupuncture. I'm referring to a therapy developed by a local doctor, Chan Gun, uh, that is, the purpose is to lacerate the lesion. It, the goal of this therapy is to use acupuncture needles, which just happen to be a useful tool for the job. It has no conceptual connection with acupuncture, except maybe in one way. Uh, but mostly it's just, hey, these are, these are nice, fine needles. What happens if we poke these trigger points? Dr. Gunn is a, is a good guy, and he has his own hypothesis about what trigger points are and how they work, and his own idea that if you stick needles in them, that it will make the trigger point go away. You stab it to death. So this is called dry needling or intramuscular stimulation. Intramuscular stimulation is Chan Gun's branding for it. It is everywhere in Vancouver. Typical patient experience is one or the other. It is, I went for IMS, it was incredibly intense, and it saved my life. I went for IMS, it was incredibly intense, I got way worse, and I was miserable for months after that. It's very intense, and it's so intense that probably what happens is pain system dysfunction takes over for a lot of people. The brain interprets it as a threat, not a help. 
despite the efforts of the therapist to contextualize it and present it as something that's going to help you, despite the power of placebo, it's so freaking painful that some people, their brain just switches over into, this is dangerous, this is a threat, I am in trouble, and that's it. The pain system takes over and says, I don't care what's really going on there, this hurts, it's awful, get me out of here. So be very careful with IMS. You will get offered it if you pursue therapy for achy parts in Vancouver. It's practiced almost exclusively by physical therapists. Massage therapists can't do it. Uh, the extent to which it overlaps with acupuncture is, again, the idea that some common locations for trigger points are well known in the acupuncture world, so there's some overlap. That's the only way in which it connects with uh, IMS, or IMS connects with acupuncture. So some of what an acupuncturist do, does, you go to an acupuncturist for these problems, they may basically treat you like an IMS therapist would treat you and put their needles in spots that aren't acupuncture points per se, but trigger points, perhaps, whatever they are. Other treatment options. There are lots of self-massage tricks. I'll give you an example. Having the right kind of ball makes all the difference. If it's got the right texture, if it's got the right stickiness so that you can trap the ball between your back and the wall. One ball will just slip away. The other one, like a lacrosse ball, is a good example, has a really nice texture and it will stay firmly there. It's much easier to manipulate. So there's a million little self-massage tricks that you can use over time. Again, with you know very little costs to you. It doesn't, it's inexpensive and easy and cheap and safe to try. So why not experiment thoroughly? Uh, definitely heat, if for no other reason than it's extremely reassuring to the nervous system. The pain system tends to like heat. We're reassured by heat. So a lot of people report good results from heat. Ice, less so, but if it feels good to you, if your nervous system thinks it's a good idea, then it is a good idea for you. Stretching and mobilizing. Stretching, of course, is... Um, a very familiar treatment idea, not super effective for trigger points, highly erratic results, but worth a try. Uh, mobilization's probably better. Mobilizations is basically repeated rhythmic movement. You can think of it as moving stretches. So a uh, typical mobilization for my achy low back is hip circles. And what I'm doing, in theory, if the integrated hypothesis of trigger points is correct, is I'm pumping the muscles, squeezing, releasing, squeezing, releasing, making them gently work over and over and over again. And if indeed they are little tiny spasms full of toxic tissue fluid, then that steady pumping action is going to help. And I find that it does, usually. Medications, not super effective, but you can try them. Uh, the one that stands out as being worthy of mention is Voltaren Gel. We're blessed in Canada to have good, easy, cheap access to this stuff. It's uh, uh, basically ibuprofen in a gel. Any novel sensory input, absolutely anything that changes how you feel, has the potential to kind of temporarily distract your nervous system from the problem. 
but those solutions tend to be very short-lived. Voltaren gel, its magic trick is that it allows you to dose the tissue with ibuprofen without overdosing the rest of your system with the stuff, which is really good because ibuprofen is fairly dangerous to your GI tract, and there are other underreported risks to it. Finally, uh, addressing medical factors, I'll give one really obvious, prominent example. Smokers tend to have way more musculoskeletal pain, just like they have way more of almost every other kind of problem. So there's almost anything you name that makes you less healthy probably worth addressing in the hopes that it deals with these chronic aches and pain. Okay, wrapping up pretty much on time. Uh, if you go to my website and type slash TPS for trigger points, that takes you to my book, to the introduction to my book. Uh, if you go slash trial, that takes you to an article summarizing the biological evidence, a lot of the meatier part of this presentation. Very heavily referenced, somewhat heavy going for the reading. And then there's just a ton of other stuff on pain science, all free. Uh, on the same topic, including lots of self-help articles. So, although I have a book that I sell, I also have something on the order of 50,000 words worth of free articles on the same subject matter. Just have to explore. Okay, 